0: I'd like you to imagine that it is one month from now and you see something interesting about the COVID-19 vaccine. Maybe you read it in the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star, maybe it's a video from City News or from the CBC and you think that it's got information your friends and family need to have. So you share it with them on Facebook and it doesn't work. Instead, you're met with a pop-up, a message that tells you essentially, sorry, You can't share this right now because we here at Facebook are not happy with your country's government. This is what happened in Australia last week before the government and the social media giant eventually agreed to pause hostilities and negotiate. But the underlying battle over whether or not Facebook should pay for the news you share is still raging. And the Canadian government has made it clear that it plans to follow Australia's lead. So what's at the root of this? Is it just political posturing? How necessary, really, is that ability of yours to share the news on social media? Will traditional news die without the governments forcing Facebook to pay for it? And at the heart of it all are a couple of questions. What exactly qualifies as news? And who is equipped to make that judgment? Jordan heath Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Jesse Hirsch is the man we call when we need social media explained to us. He's a researcher. He's a futurist. He is the author of a newsletter, which you can find at metaviews.ca. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Jordan. Can you just explain to us, um, before we get into it, uh, explain the fight that's happening between Facebook and Australia right now?
1: It's I mean, on a basic level, it's a fight over money, but on a larger level, it's a fight over the news and the news industry, uh, both in terms of how consumption of news should be compensated, but also fundamentally who controls the news in that Facebook, as well as Google, to a certain extent, has really swallowed the media industry, swallowed the advertising industry globally. And so for news media who for the most part are advertiser driven, this has presented an existential crisis because where other media could go bankrupt or disappear or evolve, we consider news and journalism to be a pillar of our democracy. And so we give it special status. And in Australia, it's allowed the Australian news industry to basically say to the Australian government, we need a tax, we need your help in helping us license content that's already been shared, right? Content that we've produced using our news organizations that our readers are sharing on Facebook, are you know sharing on YouTube, sharing on Google. And so we need you to, to give us a cut of Google and Facebook's revenues. We, we need to make sure that as our content kind of winds its way through the labyrinth that is the internet, That we get rewarded for all the attention, for all the the knowledge that Mm -hmm. it brings people, because fundamentally it was our content to begin with.
0: So how did the Australian government take that request and what have they done?
1: Well, this is where it gets a little complicated in that all they've done so far is make a proposal. Right? There haven't been any laws passed, there haven't been any new regulations or taxes levied, but there is a piece of legislation that has been drafted and it's been read in the Australian Parliament and it would basically compel the digital companies to pay a kind of fee. Now, the details of that fee have to be negotiated between the news industry and the social media companies but the social media companies have reacted quite strongly uh, with very strong threats. I mean, Google threatened to withdraw from Australia completely. Uh, Facebook initially banned all news or c- attempted or claimed that they were banning all news from their platform. And all of this has negotiating tactics. All of this as brinksmanship to you know, try to d- d- influence the Australian government as to how they're going to d- decide how this ends up. But it's also worth pointing out for our Canadian audience that the Australian news industry is overwhelmingly dominated by Rupert Murdoch. And and Rupert Murdoch has always had a, an ax to grind with the digital companies and has also had a lot of political influence So it's, it's not so clear cut in terms of this being news versus digital or Rupert Murdoch Mm -hmm. versus digital or the Australian government versus digital. It's a lot of powerful interests, basically trying to intimidate each other to, to figure out a, a deal that works for them.
0: What has that looked like as an end user experience in Australia on Facebook? You just can't, you can't post news stories at all.
1: Well, that's where it's a little contradictory, right? Because it ignores the larger question of what is news. Right. So to answer your question, technically, certain Australian news organizations would just be blacklisted so that when you try to share something from Sky News, which is a Rupert Murdoch, or you try to share from ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, that, that it would just be black, it, you wouldn't be able to. The, the same way that if you tried to share pornography, or if you tried to share you know, terror-related material on Facebook, there's a lot of content that is automatically blocked, pre-blocked. So it's like a filter, but you could also just retype the news yourself. Like if, you know, you wanted to, you know, become a citizen journalist, if you yourself wanted to be a reporter and you started filing original content as your status update, well, Facebook's algorithms wouldn't be able to distinguish whether you were a journalist or whether you were just reporting on your family. And and that's what I find so absurd about this particular debate is, you know, it's trying to argue that news is this exclusive special thing in an era where anyone can report on anything they want. So that's where I felt that Facebook's threat was kind of empty and with no surprise, they retracted it uh, all, all within 24, 48 hours. Cause I don't think it was ever something that, that they could effectively enforce. It was really meant as a, a kind of posture to intimidate the Australian government.
0: And we're going to get to why this matters to Canadians in just a second, but first, You know, to get at your point of what is news and what isn't, I mean, by blocking news from legitimate registered news sources, you're definitely not helping Facebook's already documented problem with uh, misinformation and fake news, right? Like this is, this is not, this is something that could lead us down a dangerous path.
1: It's literally throwing gasoline on the fire. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, it, that, thats how catastrophic an effect it would be. But to your point, all we have to do is look at Facebook's attempt to combat conspiracy, Facebook's attempts to 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 fight extremism and and prevent extremism from flourishing on its platform. And, and we know that they failed. We we know that they continue to fail at that. I mean, to their credit, it is a bit of whack-a-mole in which you know they boot off the QAnon folks, and all of a sudden a new culture of conspiracy ta- uh, you know fills the void. But if Facebook can't you know police itself when it comes to extremists and conspiracy people, why do they think that they're going to be able to block out journalists and news organizations who? are are not gonna give up. Like they're not gonna go, okay, I guess we can't be a journalist anymore. Right. No, they're gonna find other ways to get the news out. So that's why I think it's laughable that Facebook would make this threat, given that they can't even contain conspiracy, how do they think that they're gonna prevent people from sharing news on their platforms?
0: So in Australia, this hasn't become law yet. And I guess there are now uh, negotiations still ongoing between the government and Facebook about what that would look like if indeed it passes? Well, and in particular, Facebook
1: agreed to back off their demands because the government included in the the current version of the legislation being proposed uh, a a period in which after the bill is passed, the companies and the, uh, the news companies and the digital companies can still negotiate. So they still have like a grace period in which they come to terms, and and I think Facebook is anticipating that they might appeal the the law itself, or that they might find a way to negotiate mutually beneficial terms. So uh, that's why I see a lot of this as posturing. That you know I, I think the Australian government is going to pass this law, but even then, it's not clear what that's going to mean other than maybe some money passing under the table between Facebook and the news industry or Google and the news industry so that everyone's happy. And as far as the users are concerned, everything will be the same as always.
0: Well, and this is where we kind of get to what's about to happen in Canada, maybe. Um, But is the posturing in Australia, really, uh, performative because this is the first place where it's really happening. And because countries like Canada are, are watching this closely because c- the Canadian government has certainly discussed uh, a similar plan, right?
1: Well, and to your point about performance, I-, I would call all of this an exercise in policy theater. And I say policy theater in that fundamentally, this is just a play. Like this is not going to address any of the fundamental problems. This is not going to save the news industry. This is not going to challenge the power that Google and Facebook has. But it allows all parties to appear as if they are doing that. Right, it it makes it the politicians appear as if they're standing up to the digital giants. It allows the news industry to appear as if they are, you know, a, an important and essential element of a democratic society, and it allows the digital giants to say, "Hey, look, we're playing nice. See, look, we're we're allowing these guys to play with their toys too." And yet in the end, I don't think anything is gonna change. Hmm. And and I say this, you know, to your point about posturing, the reason the Canadian government played their card and said, hey, we're gonna do the same thing as Australia, is out of solidarity, right? Governments are terrified of Facebook and Google saying, you know, come at me, bro, right? Right? They're, They're terrified of the digital giants flexing their muscles to, to the point that they intimidate governments. So the fact that they tried to intimidate Australia, that compelled Australia's allies, of which Canada is a considerable one, to, to also stand up, to say, we, we stand with Australia. We, we will not allow these companies to bully us. And I think while that is noble, while I think that is an important thing to do, I, I don't think we should be passing a similar policy. I, I think the idea of trying to A decide what is news and what isn't, and then mandate these digital companies to give their revenues to the news industry, rather than give that money to community broadband, rather than give that money to Canadian small creators, rather than give that money even to Canadian healthcare so we can fight a pandemic. You know, I think the news industry are the last people who should be getting any revenues or taxes that come from digital platforms. But unfortunately, that's not a debate that we're gonna have.
0: That's really interesting. I wanna pick at that for just a second because to take the part of the news industry in Canada, or at least the the giant uh, corporations that produce a lot uh, of the mainstream news in this country, they are providing a ton of content uh, to Facebook and Google and they aren't getting any money for it and Facebook and Google are making a lot of money off that. So well, I totally agree and we've covered it in the past that we'd be better served uh, doing countrywide rural broadband for all Canadians, um, there is a case to be made that this industry will die without some kind of intervention and these are the guys with the deep pockets.
1: I mean, I I don't believe that the industry will die at all. I believe that the companies currently dominating the industry will die. That's fair, and they should, you know. But further, I think the larger question is: Should the government be involved in what is effectively a dispute between private companies, right? And and the news industry has its own negotiating powers, right? You know, the news industry could say we're going to prevent anyone from sharing our content on Facebook. And it actually is technically within their ability to prevent, right? This is, you know, we were talking about Facebook preventing news, pl- news publishers from using their platform, but news publishers could easily prevent Facebook from posting or using their content. But that would be the kiss of death, right? They, they can't do that because they need Facebook's audience. Now, the larger question is, why does Facebook have that audience? And I would say, because Facebook won. In the marketplace when it comes to media and attention and the news industry lost and so as a result they should go out of business will new journalistic organizations emerge will new news organizations emerge to you know sustain democracy absolutely and they already are you know the the larger question is should the government be mediating in this area and i say no for the primary reason that certainly the Canadian government, and I think this is also true of the Australian government, they're just not competent enough. Like, they're just not proficient in the issues. The fact that they're talking about this stuff and not some of the bigger concerns we should have about Facebook and Google suggests to me that they really don't have a clue and they should go and do their homework first rather than wasting our time with these silly policies that'll prop up an in industry that quite frankly needs to, like a phoenix to burn to the ground and rise up again.
0: Is there a way that the government could intervene effectively to ensure that some of the ad dollars made by these tech giants off of on-the-ground news reporting went to the appropriate place. I know, you know, you've just mentioned that they can't do it competently enough. What if they could? Then should they? Is this is this their place? So, I mean, an easy way would be a
1: subsidy, right? In which, and and, and to a certain extent, I think the government is close to this like i think they've entertained this enough that it was on the table and i think what they're actually proposing falls short but it would be a subsidy in which you were subsidizing journalists directly or you were subsidizing say units within journalistic organizations directly so you know that way you're actually getting the money to to meet to, to creators to journalists to investigative reporters Rather than subsidizing the debts that these legacy media organizations have because they made bad decisions over the last two, three, four decades and and those are the types of scenarios that I think legitimately speak to the policy problem of you know w- we need to have a pillar of journalism, we need to have a pillar of news media to support democracy. But the way in which the government is trying to and this goes back to my earlier question of what is news, if you're trying to designate some organizations as acceptable and other organizations as non-qualified, you know that's an institutional bias that undermines the policy as a whole. Versus, you know, if anyone could be a journalist and if anyone could post news on Facebook, and based on certain criteria, including impact and popularity, and you know, uh, uh, other independent criteria that then redirects that money to those journalists and and to those people doing that work. Well, yes, that's where we achieve it. Versus I don't wanna see all this money going to Paul Godfrey. You know, I I don't wanna see all this money going to Torstar. I don't wanna see all this money going to the CBC. So, you know, that's why I think if, if we're honest about how news has been transformed by digital, not just the news industry, because anyone can be a citizen journalist, then we really have to ensure that if the government is intervening, if the government is seizing money from private companies, that that money is then equally redistributed amongst Canadians rather than you know a few companies who are just really good at lobbying compared to everybody else.
0: What is the end game here for these governments? Um, is it more regulation? Are they doing this just to get a win and then hopefully they can, forget about whatever uh, Google and Facebook are doing to democracy and misinformation and all that kind of stuff? Um, Or is this the first volley of something that might become bigger the way it's spread from Australia to Canada?
1: For sure it's the first volley, right? For sure that this is a dance, not just between governments and social media, but between governments themselves, right? Because Governments distrust each other and governments have their own kind of trade agenda and political agendas. So that that's where I, I think this is a first volley or to use my metaphor, this is the first dance in, in what is going to be, a, you know, a very long uh, affair, a very, a very long event. But the question is whether the, the people involved, the question is whether the players see the long term and for sure the digital media companies see the long term and they're playing for the long term. Unfortunately, politicians are rarely rewarded for thinking long-term, right? They want quick wins so that they can get reelected. That's their focus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I I fear this notion of policy theater, that it's just people who look like they're doing something, but to your larger question of, is this gonna challenge the power of the digital monopolies? Is this gonna mitigate their negative impact on, on democracy and society? Not yet. But that's why I I am hopefully saying it is just the first volley, it is just the first dance. And I think as the music starts to pick up, there'll be more appetite amongst the public for stronger policies, for stronger taxes, right? Because we should be taxing these companies because consumers are never gonna pay that tax, right? Because we don't pay for these products at all. It's the advertisers who would end up paying that tax. And, And I think in that regard, you know, th- that type of cross-subsidy is what our, our cultural institutions are based on. So it's just a matter of what the terms are, not whether or not it's going to happen.
0: Last question, just looking to the future of our government handling this. Is this a partisan issue? Uh, is everybody on the same page on this? Is this a winning or a losing issue for a potential future election?
1: So, you know, that's the complicated part because I don't actually think it's a partisan issue. I mean i've i've spent time uh, uh with members of the conservative party i've spent time with members of the federal liberal party i've spent time with members of the federal ndp who have all been on side who all agreed who all recognized that this was a threat and yet they do not represent their parties which is to say that you know it goes back to this notion of competence or proficiency we do have members of parliament who get it and and they are in all of our political parties but they do not yet represent the majority of their political parties because the majority of our mps do not get it right this is not their area of expertise and they have not done their homework they haven't spent the time you know figuring out uh, how to understand the power these companies have and why so i am Optimistic that a multi-partisan solution can be had, but politics being what it is, I you know I suspect that this may be unnecessarily politicized, and and they'll pick apart small little things, you know uh, uh, like you know patronage and ties to political parties and bias and favorites, rather than looking at the big picture, which which should be uniting them all.
0: Jesse, thank you for this. I feel like I understand this a lot better now. Thanks, Jordan. Jesse Hirsch, author of MetaViews, which you can find and subscribe to at metaviews.ca. That was the Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. While you're there, please fill out our first ever audience survey. We want to hear from you. We want to know if you want more Jesse Hirsch, say, or less. He won't be offended, I promise. But we really want to know what you think of this show and what you want to see us do next. You can also tell us manually on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us at TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And as always, you can find us in your favorite podcast player, Apple or Google or Stitcher, Spotify, doesn't matter. Please rate, review, tell a friend, share us on Facebook while you still can. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.